Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Bless the Lord. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. We're going to pick up where we were last night and see how far we can go. We're going to minister by the direction of the Holy Ghost concerning moving things out of your way. Glory to God. Moving things out of the way. You know, uh, I shared with you last night that I was in a meeting a few months ago, actually in the early part of this year. And I was on the front row of that meeting while we were in worship. And the Lord asked me a very pointed question. He said, uh, son, why don't people move things out of their way? And I knew immediately that I, he wouldn't have asked me that question if I had known the answer. <laughs> and I said, I, I don't know, Lord, how, how come? Why, why don't people move them? If there are things in the way, why don't people move them? And, um, and so he spoke to me very clearly and actually gave me four things, four reasons why people do not move things out of their way. Last night we talked about this in some detail. But uh, the bottom line is, is that many times people don't move things out of their way because they simply don't perceive that there is anything to be moved. You're never going to believe for something you don't know exists. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord, right? Uh, you can't have something that you don't know belongs to you. You can't believe for something you don't know exists. And so when, when we don't see something is in the way, the Bible says my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And so perishing doesn't necessarily mean all the time death or physical death, but it can mean that what we don't know that God will want us to have if we never find out about it, never believe for it, or never go seize it, then that, that God, whatever God willed for us to have will perish in our life. We'll never, we'll never have it in our life. So the point I'm trying to make is, is that one of the reasons people don't move things out of their way is they simply do not perceive that there's anything to be moved. And, uh, you know, I shared with you last night that there was a gentleman uh, that I ran into. Uh, I didn't know the man, but I happened to be next to him in a Starbucks at an airport terminal when I was flying commercial to a meeting. And we had gone through, and I was doing a layover, and I walked up next to him, and he was by that coffee bar, you know, and it was really tight, kind of a tight space. And I walked up there, and we're both carrying bags, and he's got his drink, and I've just gotten mine, and I'm getting ready. And uh, he turns around and doesn't realize I'm there and kind of bumps into me. And I said, oh, excuse me, sir, am I in your way? And he said, no. He said, uh, I think I'm in my own way. <laughs> and uh, he said, I seem to be really good at that. And, you know, I thought about that so strongly. Because as soon as he said it, it just went right through me. I thought, boy, isn't that the state of the body of Christ? There are so many people that are in their own way. And they don't even know they're in their own way. And so they're walking east, if you will, hoping to see a sunset. There are a lot of people like that that oppose themselves. Right? And the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if peradventure God would grant unto them the acknowledging of the truth. Amen? Repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, so that they would no longer oppose themselves, and it says this, that they might recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Now, isn't that an interesting thought? That there is a situation that we can get into to where Satan can take us captive whenever he wants to 
because we are opposing ourselves. In fact, let's turn over there. And while you do that, let's just pray in the Holy Ghost for a minute. The Lord's, Lord's son. Uh, Really? Timothy chapter 2, have you found it? Verse 20 uh, 23, it says, <clears throat> but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender stripes. Have you ever encountered somebody that was just full of questions? I want to say something to you that I want you to write down because I think it'll, it'll impact your spirit the way it did me when the Lord said it to me. But the Lord said this to me. He said, doubt has questions, faith has answers. Doubt has questions. Faith has answers. A person that's always questioning something is trying to understand. You understand? You see where I'm coming with this? Analytically. And the Bible makes it clear that there is a spiritual understanding and there's a natural understanding. And often Christians, because they don't recognize that they've trained their mind at the expense of their spirit, and that God's not a great mind in the sky or a great body in the sky. You don't feel God or you don't, you don't know Him by, by this great mind through your mind and through your intellectual understanding. God is a spirit. We're created in His image and we know Him spirit to spirit. He ministers to our spirit and He makes Himself known in spirit. And so many times people are trying to, to comprehend an unfathomable God through a finite mind. And, and really, it's almost like standing at the base of Niagara Falls and trying to catch Niagara Falls in a thimble. It's, it's impossible. One time I was in Russia, and I had a blow dryer, and for whatever reason, the converter wasn't working exactly right. And I can still remember my 110 blow dryer got plugged into a 220 outlet. And I mean, it went, <laughs> I started smelling something, and I saw smoke. My hair was straight back. I thought, man, I've never dried my hair this fast in my life. <laughs> and you know, that, that hair dryer had a glorious few seconds. <laughs> I'm telling you, it had never run at that kind of speed. And I've often thought, if, if, if our mind was plugged in to God, <laughs> We would have some awesome thoughts for a glorious few seconds. <laughs> and then you'd probably smell some smoke. <laughs> It'd be coming out of your ears. <laughs> and, uh, and so God, God wasn't... <laughs> he wasn't meant to be understood that way. So consequently, we as, we as Christians... We don't believe because we understand. We understand because we believe. See, people, people that are trying to, to 
approach to get their questions answered before they'll believe are people that believe because they understand. But people that walk with God and have a revelation of how to go about what God has for their life will believe what God says so that their spirit man can help their mind understand. So we don't, we don't believe because we understand. We understand because we believe. Because the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3, through faith we understand. And there's some things about God we will never understand until we actually understand the law of faith and begin to live by it. Because the just shall live by faith. God is a faith God. Everything he does is by faith. That's his language. The language of faith. And when we don't do things God's way, in fact, I've said this over the years, and you may remember it, actually, and I'm sure you've been taught it otherwise. But the Bible says in the book of Genesis chapter 1 that we were not only made in the image of God, but we were made after his likeness. And the thing is, is when Adam sinned, he didn't lose God's image, per se, in the sense that image means a like resemblance, uh, uh, something that looks alike. You understand what I'm talking about? So man is still in the image of God in the sense that God has eyes, we have eyes. God has ears, we have ears. I mean, you can go through the word of God and say that, you know, that our, 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 the ears of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, his ears are open to their prayers. So God has eyes, God has ears. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it, God has a mouth. Seek the Lord's face, God has a face. The hand of the Lord came upon me, God has hands. The earth is his footstool, God has feet. He walked in the cool of the day. Right? So we understand that there's a reason we're like we are. Because we are made in the image of God. God has eyes, we have eyes. God has a nose, a sweet-smelling savor in his nostrils. God has nostrils. That's what he used to open the Red Sea, his nostrils. A blast out of his nostrils. I knew that was going somewhere. <laughs> Hey, what can I say? God blew his nose and the sea ran. <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make is, is that we're created in the image of God. We look like him. Amen. But now there's a difference between being in his image and after his likeness. Hello? Hello? To be after his likeness means we would think like him, talk like him, act like him, walk like him, be like him. And when Adam sinned, what he lost was the likeness of God. If you don't know what God's like, you can't decide to be like God. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, be ye imitators of God as dear children. Well, you'd have to know what he's like to imitate him. I can remember one time Matthew who was here, I guess, a, a few months ago with Liberty, uh, ministering the Word of God. He's a little bitty guy. And I don't know if he was in kindergarten, first grade, exactly how old he was. All I know is, is that we were on our way to school one day, and I was worshiping God, and I had my hand in the air. And uh, little did I know, I kind of looked over there and just saw some motion, really wasn't paying attention. I just worshiping God on the way to school, praying over his school day, praying over him. Next thing I know is I had my hand in the air, and boy, he had his little hand in the air, and I mean, he was... He was watching me doing everything I was doing. Now that's the point, and that really tattooed me on the inside. I knew by the Holy Ghost that that, that was really God's design for us to do where He's concerned. 
that we are to imitate God as dear children. And the next phrase says, and walk in love. So evidently, God's a God of love. So at the moment we step out of the love walk, we're not like God anymore. Now, when we lose His likeness, you understand what I'm saying? When we lose His likeness, we're going to lose His dominion. Because we were created in image and likeness to walk in dominion like Him. So it takes His likeness and dominion, how He thinks, how He sees things, how He talks, how He acts, how He walks. You know, I've often said this about Gideon, and it's a really powerful analogy. Uh, Gideon is one of my favorite characters in the Bible when it comes to stories. You know, there's a few stories in the Bible that if you really get the preach on, you can work it. Gideon is one of those, man, when the preach comes on you, you can work it. Because here's Gideon, you know, and an angel appears to him, Hail, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon's at midnight behind the wine press threshing some wheat. He's in stark terror already because the Midianites like camels have come down to sweep up the harvest of the Israelites and they're dwelling in dens and caves and strongholds. And man, it is a preaching story. I mean, it's an awesome story to preach. And he says, who, me? You know, he's looking around. Who are you talking to? <laughs> who, me? And Gideon, see, saw himself differently than the angel saw him. And he says, if, if God's with us, then where are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? And why is all this happening to us? See, he's asking questions because he has the wrong image and he doesn't believe God is with him. He said, if God is with us, then why is this happening? This happens to people all the time in the body of Christ. Well, if God was really, if this was really God, I mean, if he really said this, I mean, if this really was right, then I wouldn't be going through this. We wouldn't be experiencing this lack. We wouldn't be experiencing these limits. We wouldn't be having these battles. And the angel appeared to Gideon and said, Hail, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon responds to the angel and says, I know you're not talking about me. I am the youngest member huh, of the poorest family, of the smallest tribe, of the most despised nation on the earth. Read it, it's in there. He says, I'm the youngest member my family's poor in Manasseh. Manasseh was a half-tribe, not even a full tribe. Manasseh and Ephraim were split, Joseph's sons, into a half-tribe. Yep. So he says, I am the youngest member of the poorest family, of the smallest tribe, of the most despised nation that's living in a cave. I know you're not talking about me. I'm sure Gabriel gave you the wrong address when you came to deliver this heavenly mail. I mean, he's threshing wheat behind the wine press at midnight in the, under the cover of darkness, afraid the Midianites might see him, just to have a little something to make it through the next day. And the angel says to him, Hail, thou mighty man of valor. And he's standing there like Don Knotts and the ghost in Mr. Chicken. Well, that's lost on some of you, but some of you know what I'm talking about. That's an old show, so I'm dating myself now. That actually was filmed before I was born, but hey, I watched the rerun. <laughs> he's trembling from head to toe because he's afraid. And the bottom line is, is that God is trying to get his image changed because he begins to ask questions from the image he had. And God is basically saying to him, and in fact, the angel doesn't answer the questions he asked, he answers the question he should have asked. 
he eventually says to him, Go, and this thy might, and save your country. See, the question isn't, if God is with us, then why has this happened to us? This has happened to us because you've been granted authority you're not using. You're not walking in your might, your covenant. You're not walking in your dominion. That's why this is happening to you. Mm, come on now. Now this is what the angel's saying to him. So it's not just about changing our image. You know, when we talk about faith and walking by faith, it's not just about positive thinking or positive confession. In fact, I like Lamentations chapter 3, verse 38, I believe it is, that says, Who is he that saith it? And it cometh to pass, and the Lord commandeth it not. Which means if God didn't say it, you can say it till the cows come home and nothing's going to change. Because the power is not... I mean, even though we walk in the image of God and there is power in our words, understand this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The Lord stopped me short there. Uh, he wants me to slow down enough to communicate what I'm about to say so that you don't misunderstand me. Because we're created in the image of God, there is delegated authority and power in our words. If there wasn't, then the people who had one speech and one language couldn't have built the Tower of Babel, and God said nothing will be restrained from them which they've imagined to do, and God didn't authorize that. So there is power in our words because we're created in His image, but when we're without a covenant, the power of our words affects our sphere of influence. What we can have, what we can do, what we can receive, because our words have authority over us. Does that make sense? But now when we shift gears and we get born again and we begin to operate as His ambassador and His representative on the planet, then there's a power that comes in our words that wasn't there before. There's a power that's there inherently because God gave man dominion, but it'll only affect you and your sphere, and so it can be self-fulfilling prophecy. What you say about it is going to come to pass, but it'll affect you. But when it comes to changing principalities and territories and casting out devils and healing the sick and changing futures and those kinds of things, when it comes outside your realm to actually be the kingdom of heaven on the earth, and the, for the king's word there is power, and to implement a power that affects a situation far beyond your realm of influence, now you've got to tap in to being an ambassador, a representative of heaven. Now, you're not going to change these things. Huh? You're not going to step, step out there and command a tornado to stop it, get back up in that cloud when you're not born again. Because you don't have the authority over nature to do that. Because when you fell, you fell down where nature affects you. Do you hear me? Sure. But now you get born again, that's different. Now the wind and the sea will obey you. So, I'm so I didn't want to confuse you to say that there's no power in your words before you're born again. I'm just trying to communicate to you that we're talking about a different level here. Amen? The kind of level that where David where Goliath actually operated this principle. Goliath believed it. Goliath said it. Goliath acted on it. But it didn't come to pass. David believed it. David said it. David acted on it, and it came to pass. Because Goliath was uncircumcised and uncovenanted. Oh, come on now. 
Woo, glory to God. This is big. So this is what Lamentations is talking about when it says, Who is he that saith it and it cometh to pass, and the Lord commandeth it not? So we're not talking about just changing our image. We're not talking about self-help books, how to win friends and influence people, how to dress for success. Oh, that's fine if you want to do that. There's nothing wrong with it inherently. But it doesn't have any eternal or spiritual value. You need to understand what we're really talking about is not just changing our image, but specifically changing our image into the image God has of us. That's a different level. Now Gideon is not just changing his image from a poor boy, I'm going to have some money. Or changing his image from, you know, I'm, I'm nobody from nowhere going to do nothing. But he begins to realize his heavenly potential. The architect of the universe is imparting to him by supernatural impartation a DNA that causes him to be able to do something so far beyond his sphere of influence that his mind at this point can't even imagine. And in a matter of a short time, he goes from the youngest member of the poorest family, of the smallest tribe of the most despised nation, to go, mighty man of power, in your might and save your nation, for you will defeat the Midianites as one man. Woo! That is awesome. Now, all of us can walk in this. Now, how do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that in Isaiah chapter 9, Jesus is going to come, for unto us a child is given, a son is born, right? His name should be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Read those verses 1 through 5 before it, and you know what you'll find? You'll find that Jesus came to break the rod of the oppressor, as he did with Gideon in the day of Midian. Oh, glory to God. So you see Isaiah prophesying that the anointing that came on Gideon to set Israel free and deliver a nation and bring them back to their covenant rights is the very authority that Jesus came to give to the whole body of Christ. When we step into Christ, we literally, we might be the youngest member of the poorest family, of the smallest tribe, of the most despised nation, but not when we step into Christ. Amen. We need to see ourselves differently. One of my favorite verses about that is Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and here's what it says. In fact, I think we ought to read that one. Romans 1, 3 and 4. Now keep your finger in 2 Timothy. We're coming right back. Glory to God. Romans chapter 1, it says this. It says, concerning His Son, Jesus, Christ our Lord, which was made, made what? Say it out loud. Of the seed of David, according to what? Say that out loud now. Jesus Christ our Lord was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Next verse. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit. Now I don't know what you are tonight according to the flesh. I don't know what you do every day or what you feel like you're anointed to do or what your livelihood is. Some of you I could probably begin to take a stab at it. You know, I, some of you may work with computers. Some of you, you could be a bank teller. You, you could be a, a rancher, whatever you might be. But I'm telling you by the Holy Ghost, that's what you are according to the flesh. But according to the Spirit, 
You are declared to be a child of God with power, walking in resurrection power to put the enemy under your feet. And you don't need to see who you are in the natural. You need to see who you are declared to be by the creator of the universe in the spirit. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen? Now here's what happens. When our mind doesn't get renewed to that, and by faith we refuse to accept it, but we function on a level to where our circumstances identify us, our emotions identify us, the good and the bad reports and all the things we walk through identify us, what happens is, is we literally walk like mere people, mere men, without a covenant. Our covenant is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. Greater is he that's in you, greater is he that's in me, than he that's in the world. The carnal mind is God's enemy. Come on now, the carnal mind is God's enemy. So your own thinking about yourself can be you totally square in your own way. You can be opposing yourself by God being for you and you wondering why all this is happening to you. Because somehow religion has confused you that God has some special reason why you're walking through this process. That maybe He's teaching you something. Or maybe it's not time yet. Or maybe you didn't hear Him correctly. See, all of these foolish and unlearned questions as we mature in God, we must avoid them at all costs. You've got to quit asking questions. Now, you know, when I was growing up, I was taught the only stupid question is one's never asked. And I don't mind asking questions, but I'm talking about the kind of questions that come from people who don't even know enough about it to even know what question to ask. And somehow think they have all the information necessary to judge something. You see, for somebody to judge something that's out of order in a church is to assume that they spent enough time with the Holy Spirit for Him to show them what is in spiritual order. And if you haven't heard from God about spiritual order, which is, by the way, totally opposite of natural order at times, then you don't have the right information to judge whether it's out of order or not. You're judging based upon, they didn't do it that way in my old church. You see where I'm going with this? And what happens is, is people whose carnal mind gets in this place, they're God's enemy. They're God's enemy. And they are opposing themselves. Mm. Oh, this is big. I don't know if I'm helping you or not, but I believe I am. Now notice what he says in verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle. Gentle unto all men. 2 Timothy 2.24 Apt to teach, patient. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If peradventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil 
who are taken captive by him at his will. You see what he just said? He just said, if we will repent over asking dumb questions and thinking we know so much. And repent for what? To acknowledge the acknowledgement of the truth. That's the Greek word that means thorough and exact, precise knowledge. That means I know exactly what God knows about it. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's revelation knowledge. You can't slice that any other way. Revelation knowledge is knowing about it what God knows about it. Seeing it like God sees it. Understanding it like He understands it. Now, you're like Him. Whoo! And the day you line up with that, is the day that your mind's not warring with your spirit over how are we going to do this? There's not enough money in the world to do that. God, I know you told me to do it, but I, I don't know if I heard you or not. There's no way I can do that. You've got to get out, and I've got to get out, of the, our members warring amongst themselves where we quit opposing ourselves. Because what happens is when we oppose ourselves, we literally are opening the door for the devil to take us captive in that area, whenever he wants. There are things in the way. Now, last night we talked about this, and we said, why don't people move things out of the way? Well, number one is most people don't even perceive there is anything to be moved. But number two, the main reason, one of the main reasons people don't move things out of their way is even if they perceive there's something to be moved, they don't know how to do it. Isn't that right? They don't know what to do about it. So if you don't know what to do about it, you're not any better off than not even knowing you need to do it. Now, isn't that right? And so I want to talk to you about that tonight in some detail because the Spirit of the Lord will help us through this process. He'll show us how to get where we need to go to get these things moved out of the way if we will repent to the acknowledgement of the truth. Meaning, we have to make a decision on the inside that there is a way to do this. God does want this out of the way. It's going to be worth it to move it. You know, it's like one man said, if you saw what was on the other side of your mountain, you'd be sure and move it. Isn't that right? Oh, glory to God. That's why he wants us to have eyes of faith, to see the end from the beginning, to realize that there's nothing in the way that is worthy to be compared to the breakthrough of the glory and what God's promise is going to bring. Amen. So here we see, and we looked at it last night, Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk said, I will set myself on the watch, on the tower. And I will watch to see, what? What he will say to me. But it's not just enough to hear what he's going to say. The question is, what am I going to answer him? When I am corrected. And the word answer, of course, means movement back to the point of departure or the willingness to make a change. But the word answer also means I'm going to give him an answer, a verdict, a judgment. I'm going to have a judgment about this. And I'm either going to judge God faithful and right, or I'm going to continue to go about getting godly results with a natural way. And I'm just going to say something to you by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me about some, to, to some ministers, some ministers one time, and he talked to me about 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. And verse 4 and 5 says that my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, 
but in demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And the Lord said, tell my, tell my ministers they are deceived if they think they're going to get my results the world's way. That's a, that's a deception. If our faith should stand in the wisdom of men, we're not going to get the results that only the power of God can produce. So our faith has to shift from the wisdom of men into an agreement with the power of God, His image for us, what His plans are for us, so that we get out of our own way. And He says, I'm going to set myself on the tower, on the watch. I'm going to watch to see what He will say to me and what I'm going to answer Him when I am reproved. So that means I am going to make an adjustment. Well, now later on He says, write the vision down. Make it plain upon tables that he may run that reads it. The Hebrew word for read is to proclaim or preach, to read it out loud. And so obviously we're talking about saying something out. What are we saying out? We're saying out what he told us to say. We're answering, we're saying about it what he told us to say about it. Right? And he said, though the vision tarry, wait for it, for it shall surely come. Right? And it will not tarry, for at the end it shall speak as for an appointed time. And then he tells us the soul which is uplifted within himself is not upright in himself the just shall live by faith. So we see clearly that if we're going to bring this to pass, we're going to have to have an answer of faith to what's in the way. Mm. Are you hearing me? If, the, if we are going to move out of the way what's in the way, we clearly are going to have to have an answer of faith to what's in the way. And this is exactly what Jesus did when he walked by that fig tree. And verse 14 of Mark 11 says, He answered mm, and said unto it, No man eat food hereafter forever. Evidently the tree said something to him. We don't know what it said to him, but we do know it told him he wasn't getting. Now here he is, the creator. He created the tree. Oh, come on now. How dare the creation talk to the Creator and say, I'm not yielding to you what you need to do your will. So he took his place and said, huh, no, no, no. He answered it. Every time your wallet starts talking to you, no money, you need to answer it. Oh, come on now. Every time life starts screaming at you, you're going to get laid off, you need to answer it. You need to start learning, I've got an answer. Oh, glory to God. I have an answer to what's in the way. And we know we have an answer because when they walked by the next day, they saw it. Master, look at this. The tree is dried up from the roots. Woo, glory. And Jesus said, Have the God kind of faith. Oh, I love that phrase. So obviously this was a faith answer. For whosoever shall say. Hmm. You hear me? Whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed. You are in the way. Get out of my way. Be thou removed. Be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. But believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he says. Now the Lord said something to me in worship tonight. And he said this to me. He said, son, if words have the power to move things, then words have the power 
to keep things from being moved. Now think about this dynamic. Words are the containers that God used to transfer the substance of what was in heaven into earth. Things moved based on words. When words were spoken, light came, darkness moved. The Holy Spirit hovered, He moved over the face of the planet. God planted a garden in Eden. Scripture tells us how he did it. There wasn't yet a man to till the ground. So the Bible tells us before a tree grew, before it was in the field, it was in heaven. You can read it. It's there in Genesis 2. The heaven was the nursery. And God transplanted the heaven into the earth. Mm -mm. He grew that tree in heaven, planted it in earth. And he did that. Oh, glory to God. You want me to show you how he did it? Woo, glory to God. I'm going to show you how he did it. Go with me to the book of Isaiah. Don't you love the Lord tonight? Verse 16. Isaiah 51, 16. Notice what it says here. He says, I have put my words in your mouth. And I have covered you in the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth and say in design, you are my people. How does he plant the heavens in the earth? He gets his words in your mouth. Your mouth, my mouth, is the heaven-earth connector. And if words, if words can move things, Transfer things. Really, you want me to unlook this here? Okay, okay. All right, all right. Um, all right, let, let, go with me. Go with me to the book of Matthew now, chapter 17. I want to show you something here that just blessed me so. It revolutionized my, wor my world in, in some ways. Even though I had been teaching about this for many years, I saw something by the Spirit of God. And uh, I want to look at Matthew 17. And we're talking about demon powers here because we have a young man who's possessed of the devil. And the devil's throwing him in the water and the fire and he's trying to kill him. The disciples couldn't cast him out. So they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, we couldn't cast him out. And Jesus says, oh, faithless. What? Faithless. Faithless. Say it. Faithless. Oh, say it again. Faithless, faithless and perverse generation you need to not we need to understand that when we are faithless God considers that perverted it is a perversion for a believer not to believe for us to be faithless is perverted which tells you that walking by faith causes you to begin to live a holy life because you're aware of spiritual things it's a shield that keeps your life from going into the world system and going into perversion. Faith will work on everything, including sin, including spirits of the world, including addictions of all kind, including uh, all types of unholy alliances and attachments and perversions and unhealthy relationships. Faith will keep you. <clears throat> Faith has the power to move those things out of the way. 
Faith has the power to untie those things and dig them up by the roots and kill them from the root. The life source is cut off. Faith has that potential. So here's the bottom line here. He says, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief, he says. And then he says in verse 20, For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, what? Re, what kind of move? Well, evidently it already, it moved in the way. It needs to re-move. Huh? Because that boy didn't always have that demon. It came in him. It moved in him. You see that? It needs to move out of him. He needs to re-move it. And you re-move something the same way you moved it the first time. Most of us don't realize because our words are so powerful. And because we are created in the image of God, understand this. God's word is God's will. Now this is very important to know. God's word is God's will. So what God wants, he says. Right? Now we're created in his image. So our words release to the spirit realm our will. So the moment we say something, we have, in effect, legally authorized whatever it is we said to come into our life because we have now willed it to come. And for us to get like God, we need to line our will up with our words and start saying what we will and what we want instead of what we don't want. If you don't want it, quit saying it. Because you were created to be like God. God says what He wants, not what He doesn't want. Amen? And so because we're created like God, we need to say what we want, what we will to happen. Not what is happening. Especially if what is happening is what we don't want. Because what happens is, those words literally open the door for the thing we don't want to move in our way. Oh, this is so big. You're going to know by the time we finish tonight why there's some things in your way. Some of these things, to move them out of the way, is as simple as repenting. Amen. Isn't that right? So notice what it says here, and this is so important. He says, remove hence to yonder place. It shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. He's not talking about this kind of devil. He's talking about this kind of unbelief. And so this is a very interesting um, a statement about this. But this word remove. And when you look this word up, it's a powerful word because it literally means to go or come from one place to another. You hear me? To go or come from one place to another, it denotes a change in place or condition. 
a condition that moved into your body will remove outside out of your body. It moved into your body. It will go out of your body the same way it came in. Now, this is in everything. That's why Enoch, by faith, walked with God and was not for God took him. Because he went from one state to another, one condition to another, one place to another, by faith. Faith moved him out of this realm into that realm. Now, this is what Jesus was saying when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, didn't I tell you if you would believe, you would see the glory? Because faith has the ability to move you out of this realm, to change your condition, to change your place, to change your situation, to change the very realm you're operating in. So, in fact, I found, I found that we have a jet. I mean, God's going to show all y'all we have it, you know, next time we come up here. But we have it. And faith is how it moved into our life. Because jets move from one place to another. They go from place to place. And faith is what's moving it into our ministry. Well, dear Lord, if it could move a jet in our ministry, it could move miracles like translation, where I don't even need a jet in that ministry. This is how Enoch was translated. This is how we're going to be raptured out of here. Oh. This, this faith we're talking about. According to Colossians chapter 2, Jesus was raised from the dead by the faith of the operation of God. So the operation of God's glory was set in motion by God's own faith to literally change him from hell to heaven, from death to life, from a decayed body to a resurrected body. It, we need to understand that's what faith does. Faith moves stuff from one place to the other place, from one situation to the other situation, from one condition to the next condition, from one realm to the next realm, from earth to heaven, from heaven to earth. Amen. Faith is the shuttle. Faith is the currency. Faith is what moves stuff. Yeah. Woo! Glory to God. And faith is activated by the words that come out of our mouth. So God says, I have, Isaiah 51, 16, put my words in your mouth that I may cover you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens. Wow! That's big time. It's exactly right. That means what I say about it on earth happens. Days of heaven on earth. Amen. Now what you say about it is going to come to pass, but what I say about it is going to come to pass. Lord God. There's nothing you can say about me that will move stuff into my way that has more authority than what my words say can't get in my way. See, the way things get in our way is we accept them. We accept them through discouragement. We accept them through time delays. We accept them through the economy. We accept them through somebody's seemingly well-meaning, doubt-filled words. We accept them through somebody's opinion. But somehow, some way, Satan makes sure that there's at least one person that survives the attack to come to give you the bad report. If you don't believe it, read the book of Job. I mean, every time, everybody died but one. 
He made sure there was one left to get back to Job to tell him all the bad news. God will see to it that you hear the bad report. Question is, are you going to let that move into your heart? Are you going to let that move into your thinking? Are you going to let that move into your life? Are you going to let somebody who tells you you can't, you agree with them? Well, I guess I can't then. See, it's like Henry Ford said. Henry Ford said years ago, those that say they can't and those that say they can are both right. Isn't that right? I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've studied much about, uh, about guys like Henry Ford, but those, those, those lives, studied those biographies, they kind of intrigued me. One of, the most, one of the neatest things I ever heard about Henry Ford was when he built his first motorized vehicle, he built it in his garage, and he had this vision inside of him, and he's not wanting anybody else to steal it, I guess. He's getting patents on it, whatever. All I know is, is he built it in his garage, and as the story goes, when he is ready to take the thing out and to actually use it, once he got it comp completed, he starts realizing that the opening in his garage was too small to get the car out. So he had to break the sides out of the garage to get the car out. Most of us are like that. Most of us have so much, have, have big things inside of us that are too big for our thinking and the limits and the stuff we put in the way that we've pre-built to let it out. And we're going to have to get some things out of the way to get the big things that really belong to us out of us in the life where they belong. Oh, glory to God. Where what's created on the inside gets so big it can't stay on the inside, it comes to the outside. Amen? Amen. Oh, glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, we need to realize that words move things. Now, let's look at a couple more scriptures here before we close tonight. I want you to go with me to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter 14. And we're going to read verse 28, Numbers chapter 14, verse 28, and then verse 30. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. God said, say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Well, what were they saying? We're going to die out here in this wilderness. We're never going to go into the promised land. It's never going to happen. We had good things to eat in Egypt. We had, at least we had graves in Egypt. We're going to die out here in the wilderness. And they kept saying it and kept saying it and kept saying it and kept saying it. Finally, God said, as surely as you've spoken in my ears, it's going to be how you've said it. Look at verse 30. Doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. So it's clear, it is clear God wasn't the one keeping them out of the land. Come on now. This is so important. Now let's back up. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says about Caleb, but my servant Caleb, because he has another spirit with him and has followed me fully, him will I bring into the land where he went and his seed will possess it. Now, do you want to know how come Caleb got to go in the land? Let me show you. Go over with me to the book of Joshua. And I want you to look at Joshua, I believe it's chapter 14. And I want to show you what it says about him. Joshua 
Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzites, said unto him, You know the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God concerning me. You know what Moses said about us, Josh? You remember what Moses said about us when we were in Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Glory to God. He said something different. He had another spirit about him. The spirit of faith. And he said something different. And a nation. Oh, come on now. I'm going to say something to you that's going to help you. A whole nation combined saying the wrong things for 40 years couldn't keep him out of it. This is what God said to Joshua when he said, no man will stand before you all the days of your life. Nobody can keep you from your promise. If you get your own self out of your way, nobody else can get in your way. They can't get in your way unless you let them. Or if they're in your way, they can't stay in your way because God is for you. And if God be for you, who could be against you? But you've got to get this in your heart so that when you bring word again to God, it's the word of victory that comes out of your heart. And you're not rehearsing in his ears, I can't, and it won't, and it's too long, and here's why, and this is the reason, and I'm too young, and, I, and my family's small, and we're poor, and the economy's bad, and the interest is low, and, and, and the mortgage is too high. And the... Well, now, if you're going to live that way, then you might as well live like a non-covenant person. Because you are literally standing immediately and directly. In God's way. Woo! Glory to God. Woo! Glory to God. Look at this. Go with me to Malachi chapter 3. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Malachi chapter 3, he speaks of a great promise of blessing where we could walk under an open heaven and he would pour out a blessing that there, there's not room enough to contain. And when you read this in verse 10, I really like the way it reads because it says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now in that last phrase, there's a number of words in italics. The only Hebrew words that are there is that, not, enough. And what probably the most accurate translation should be is your covenant connects you to God. He's possessor of heaven and earth. Everything he has is yours. And what he's really saying is, for a tither, you moved under an open heaven to the degree that if it requires him to pour out of heaven to fulfill what you need, he will, literally it means he will empty heaven out. So what it means is, 
if it bankrupts heaven. That's literally what it means. That he will empty heaven until there's not enough in heaven to fulfill what you need. Well, now how can the creator, who can create things, ever run out? So Joshua can point to the sun and the moon. Say, sun, you stand still. Moon over the valley of Ajalon. God hearkened to his voice. And the whole earth stopped spinning for nearly a whole day. Oh, we're on the edge of these things now. We're moving into some things now to understand that miracles of translation, maimed legs and body parts growing back, lives changing, and economies. You realize at, a, at the word of Elisha, he said, about this time tomorrow. You realize at the, at the prophetic utterance of the word God of creation gave one prophet, the economy of an entire nation was changed in 24 hours. The Bible says in the book of, of Hebrews, they subdued kingdoms. We have something so much greater than we've ever dreamed. Why aren't we moving things out of the way? Well, so many people don't perceive there is anything to be moved. And then those that do perceive it, they don't know what to do about it. But when we understand what's in our way, and sometimes it's us, we begin to know what to do about it. Now, look at this in Malachi 3. He says in verse 10, he says, I'll, I'll open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, there's not room to receive it. I'll empty out heaven if I have to. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Whoo, glory. He shall not destroy the fruit of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, our delightful land, saith the Lord of hosts. Now look at verse 13. What does it say? Have been what? Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken so much against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we've kept his ordinance? And that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. Most people that bail on walking by faith are people that had an unrealistic, unbiblical expectation of how things are supposed to be. They thought it was supposed to work like magic. And somewhere they got disappointed. And they basically said, well, you know, what profit does it do me to tithe? I mean, the car broke down last week. I had two flats. You know, they don't recognize that the enemy is coming to steal that seed before it develops any roots in your life and can produce what's necessary to move that thing out of your way. He's a master doing everything he can to cloud your mind to keep that in the way. Because if you see it's in the way and then you start to move it, let me just tell you, let me, let me explain something to you. When they went to take the promised land, there were giants there. If nobody else wants the property you're trying to get, you better step back and evaluate how valuable it is. 
Any property worth having is worth fighting over. Does that make sense? Because it's valuable. It's strategic. Somebody else is going to want it. But God, your God, will deliver it into your hands. God will be for you. Who can be against you? My words are not going to be stout against God. I'm not going to get in God's way. Go with me to the book of Job, Job 42. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I will put my words in your mouth that I may cover you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens. Glory to God. Job chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know now that you can do everything and that no thought or purpose can be withheld from you. Oh, glory to God. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me that I knew not. That means that he was talking out of both sides of his mouth. Now his heart was pure in the sense that he didn't sin against God. He said, though my Redeemer slay me, yet will I serve him. But that was the furthest thing from God, what God was trying to do. It wasn't the Redeemer trying to slay him. It was the devil trying to kill him. It was the Redeemer that told the devil he couldn't kill him. So you see, he's talked out in the way he's thinking. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, somebody said to me one time years ago, I can still remember I was in my first couple of years uh, of college, I was in, a, uh, I was in uh, a Baptist university, and I still remember being in the student union one day, and somebody came up and said, the Lord giveth and the, after all the Lord said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I looked at him and said, no, God didn't say that. And he bowed up, ha-ha, he did too. I said, no, he didn't, no, the Lord didn't say that. He did, and we were theology majors, right? Hair coming up on his back, he did too. Why, it's in the book of Job. I said, I know what's in the book of Job, but God didn't say it. Job said it. God didn't say that. Job said that. And 41 chapters later, or however many, 38 chapters, however many chapters later, God actually, about 36 chapters later, God appears to Job in a whirlwind. Now, this is the most awesome thing. Sometimes I just go back and read it just because it's just so awesome. God literally appeared to Job in a tornado, a whirlwind, and said, hey, Joe, you think you're so smart? You think you know so much? Get up out of those sackcloth and ashes and quit scraping your balls with a pot and go in there and put on a suit and come back out here and talk to me like a man. Exactly what, read it, it's there. So Job, okay. And God's like, I'll wait right here till you get back. <laughs> so Job goes in, takes off his sackcloth, takes off his mud, gloom, despair, agony on me, throws his broken pot away, <laughs> washes himself up a little bit, puts on some decent clothes, comes back out there to talk to him like a man. And for three chapters, it wasn't a talk. <laughs> because Job didn't get to say anything. For three straight chapters, God's saying, if you're so smart, 
How come the ostrich lays its eggs in the sand and buries its head in the sand and doesn't watch out for its kids? If you're so smart, how come the eagle builds its nest in the rock and the conies who are feeble, but they have sure-footedness in the rocks? If you're so smart, and he just goes down the list. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I stretched out the heavens? Where were you when I told the water it could only go this far? How about the Leviathan that has a big tail and, and eats reeds in the river? And where were you when I created all that? If you're so smart and you know what I do and you know everything about me and you're, you're saying all this about me that you know is, is, is right, then where were you when I did all this? Job 42 is Job's first response. <laughs> And when he finally gets to talk, he says, now I know. You can do everything. And there is nothing you think or purpose to do that anybody can hold you back from. And I was uttering words that darkened your counsel by words uttered about you that I didn't know anything about. God, I repent I repent for saying the wrong thing I repent for getting in your way I repent for acting like I knew how to do it I repent I repent God I repent when he did you know what happened the bulls got moved out of the way the stolen cattle got restored the stolen donkeys got restored the stolen camels got restored. He had more houses. He got more kids. All of his acquaintances brought him a piece of gold or an earring. And everybody that was their acquaintance brought him a piece of gold or an earring. And his three friends that were telling him everything he was doing was wrong. God wouldn't even hear their prayer till they went and bowed to Job and took him an offering and they repented. And the richest man in the whole east became twice as rich as he ever was before. When he got his tongue right, he came out of his mess. Right. We can make decisions along our faith project that cause things to get in the way. And some of the greatest men that ever walked, one of them I think about is Abraham. Abraham made a decision. And we know he made more than one decision. I mean, he lied about Sarah, said she was his sister. Right? I mean, he wrestled with this integrity. And if you don't believe that if you don't get this fixture to come on your kids, read the Bible. Because Isaac wound up doing the same thing. Isaac wound up lying about his wife, calling her his sister. That same spirit of a lack of integrity bled down into Isaac's life. Oh, that's big. That is really big. And he went in there and had an Ishmael. And today, today, at least 4,000 years later, we're fighting wars. Men and women are dying. Today, 4,000 years later, on Abraham's decision, Try to get God's will done his own way. It's harder for you to buy gas because of Abraham's decision. The price of gas. Come on now. 
these things have a lifespan at times. Unless we move them out of our way, unless we get them fixed, unless we cut them off. You see what I'm saying to you? And we can make decisions to cut them off. And Abraham, contrary to what people think, it took him 25 years to get Isaac. But if you read the scripture, it wasn't until 24 years into the progress of the project that Abraham became so fully persuaded, he began to say about himself what God said about him. I am Abraham. So even though it looks impossible, and it's against all hope, and I'm an old man, and my body's dead, and her body's dead, and if we were going to do this, we should have done it long ago. God, I guess you're right. I guess I could go another 50 years trying to get you to change your mind, but since you won't change, you won't. So I guess if I'm ever going to get this thing right, I'm going to have to say what you say. I'm going to have to say about me what you say about me. And within a year of getting his tongue right, he had his kid. This is heavy. Hallelujah. And I tell you, Brother Fred, this is important in the ministry because we already have authority as believers when what we say about our sphere of influence or our family or things that we're assigned to do, that carries power. But now, when we step in our ministry office and we start getting frustrated at the people behind the podium under the anointing, whew, follow me here. Then, it's not just a personal what we say, not just a personal faith thing, but now we're operating from a place of authority saying it. There's an anointing on what we're saying. That's why I tell preachers all the time, you, you can't preach from a painful heart or offense or frustration. Because the truth is, can you imagine the church changing if we get frustrated about what's going on because we need something different and we're saying what we see instead of what we believe? Well, now, can you imagine what would happen? If believers who came to that church knew that was their set place, were absolutely assured by God, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm connected to this vision. Can you imagine what would begin to happen then if by the Spirit they saw that? Huh? And the pastor who's believing God and under the anointing is saying it. And the people who know this is their set place have a revelation Listen to me. They have a revelation that if, come here, Brother Johnson, if you would, that God doesn't have half a will, that it is absolutely impossible, just totally impossible, for God to call this young man and his wife, this young couple, to pastor without equally calling people to be pastored. That is an absolute impossibility. God is smarter than we are. Yes. Huh? 
Why would he call somebody to pastor and not give them anybody to pastor? So there are people, you namely, as called to this vision as he is. Amen. You will equally stand before God. In fact, the scripture says in the book of Hebrews 13, you will give a personal account to God whether or not you helped him fulfill the vision that is your part. And the Bible says in Hebrews 13, it will be good for you in the day of judgment if he can say to Jesus, they were good sheep. They didn't give me any trouble. They didn't get in my way. That's what the Bible says. Now, you say, well, I don't give him any trouble. Oh, really? <laughs> hmm. What about when you say, well, if I was pastor, I wouldn't do it that way. What do you think you're releasing into the atmosphere? Well, we need to understand. I'm not trying to point anybody or anything out because I don't know. I'm just saying take this yourself. Let the Holy Spirit work with your heart and mind on it. But when we don't line up, you're not like neutral. You're either a part of propelling the vision forward, going into the promised land, or you are in the way. But you're not neutral. Because the truth is, even if you shift a car in neutral, and you got something pulling like an engine on a train or something, it just adds weight to the load. So even if you're in neutral, you may not be opposing him, but you're creating drag. Does that make sense? We have got to realize that a portion of the answer of getting things out of the way is recognizing we're in our own way. And the moment we change our tongue, within a short amount of time, we would be stunned what would begin to actually happen. Don't be lulled into thinking that what you say about it doesn't matter. Thank you, Brother John. And, and let me, while I'm at this, let me say one more thing. Jesus said, Whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have, he shall have the things. Everybody said the things. The say it again. Say it one more time. Do you notice that word's plural? One of the biggest mistakes that most believers make is they get on a faith project and they start confessing a thing. And they don't realize that in life they're not going to just receive that one thing they put the faith on. They're going to receive the sum total of the things they say. So you got people, I remember years ago I heard a story, Mike Murdoch, Mike Murdoch told the story about a lady that wrote into his ministry and said, Brother Murdoch, I, you did a teaching on healing and I'm sick of my body and boy, I'm believing God to heal me and I tell you it's the most awesome teaching I'd ever heard and, 
And, uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't know about all this prosperity stuff. And you guys talking about the prosperity. But, I, I, you know, I need this. But, but, and I'd love to order those set of CDs, but I just don't have the money. Now, that is ignorance going to seed. Because what she doesn't get is that healing isn't earned. It is a provision of God. So healing and manifestation is you believing God to provide you something you can't get. So it's actually prosperity and manifestation. Same anointing that produces prosperity produces healing. You see that? And it damaged her ability to believe to be healed because she came against prosperity. And that's my point. My point is, you're not going to receive just the thing you say. You're going to receive the sum total of the things you say. So you can't come to this church and pick and choose. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Now, I might as well open this up just by giving you the third thing he said. Because as you can see, I'm in no hurry to just give you just, that's not what, that's not what the assignment is. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If peradventure, they would be granted repentance unto the clear and exact knowledge of the truth that when they get it, they can recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. I can't change what you say. I mean, we could have gifts of the Spirit moving, prophecy, and lay on hand service, healing service. But it's not going to change what you say unless you do the third thing. I said, he said, son, why don't people move things out of the way? I said, I don't know, Lord, why? He said, well, he said, because most people, many people don't even perceive there is anything to be moved. And then he said, if they do perceive it, they don't know what to do about it. But then he said, but then if they begin to see what to do about it, he said, many people won't decide to change it. You've got to decide to change it. You've got to decide to move it out of the way. You've got to hear this and say, you know, that's right. This is in the way because I've been doing this and I'm deciding to change what I'm saying. Right now, I'm God, I repent, you, you know. Praise the Lord. And decide to change it. Job 28, 22 says, decree a thing and it will be established unto you. And the light of God's favor will shine upon your way. The Hebrew word for the word decree is the word decide. Decide to do a thing. And the light of God's favor will shine on the way. Now what I want to communicate to you tonight to finish is this thought. Job said, God, I have darkened your counsel by words I have uttered without knowledge. If you don't know what to do about what's in your way, you're going to have to change what you say. And you're going to have to quit saying, I just don't know what to do. Well, I know something needs to change, but I just don't know what to do about it. 
Because you're lying. Woo, that was harsh, wasn't it? I'm lying? I don't know what to do. Sure you do. Sure you do. No, I don't. Sure you do. The Bible says that you don't have the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, which knows all things. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ, and the word Christ means the anointed one. You have the mind of the anointing. And it says you hold, the Amplified says you hold the thoughts, the feelings, and the purposes of his heart. The scripture says in 1 John 5, 20, he has given us Jesus Christ who has given us an understanding. And the scripture says in Colossians 1, I cease not to pray for you to desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy unto the Lord, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, strengthened with might. So we understand, see, that he's made it known unto us. Ephesians chapter 1 says, Having made known unto you the mystery of his will and his good pleasure and his intent. He's already made the will of God known to you. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 5 says, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You see, it says in James 1 5, If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men freely and will not withhold it. And he gives it freely. And, but he says, Ask in faith, nothing wavering. So that means you receive wisdom the same way you receive healing or finances or anything else. You believe you receive it when you pray before you have it. Once you, you step across the line and say, Thank God, I have a God that knows all things and the knower lives in me and I know what He knows. I know exactly what to do. Thank you, Lord. I know exactly what to do about this situation. I know how to get this out of the way. Well, one thing is, you already know tonight from what I taught you, use your faith. God has dealt to every man the measure of faith and have faith in God. For whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever things he says. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them. You shall have them. Move it out of your way. You're not going to defeat your enemy with your mouth shut. Nobody ever moved a mountain they wouldn't talk to. Micah chapter 6 verse 1 says, Arise, contend with the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Talk to that thing that's in your way. And say, you're getting out of my way. You're getting out of my way. I know exactly what to do. I'm not putting up with you. I'm not going to live 10 more years of my life dealing with this in a cyclical pattern. You're getting out of my way. You are not from God. You don't belong to me. You don't belong to this vision. You're not going to stay on my marriage. You're not going to stay on my children. You're not going to stay on my business. You're not going to stay on my money. You're not going to stay on my body. You might have moved in, but you're moving out. Glory to God! Psalm 78, 41 says, Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Can you imagine the ability to keep God from being able to do something? Yet Jesus in His hometown could do no mighty work because of their unbelief. Why? Because what they said about him revealed what hindered them. I like Kenneth Weiss' translation. 
in Matthew 13, 56, 57, 58, it says they, had, they were offended at him and it hindered them from acknowledging his authority. There are things in the way, like their carnal, carnal feelings about him. I know his mama. I watched him grow up as a little boy. Where did he get all these things? Who does he think he is? Whew, these, these things are in the way. My wife walked through something this last fall. God had warned me ahead of time by the Holy Ghost and even through a prophet that this thing was coming. We walked through a health situation. She is now every whit whole and totally recovered. And what the enemy came to do, he did not accomplish. But we walked through it. Glory to God. And the point is, she was seeking God about this because everything in me was offended at it. Offended at it because it violated our covenant. Offended at it because here we are, faith people believe in God preaching healing. Offended, you know, everything, you know what I'm talking about. Just, and she was asking me a question one day. She was seeking God for a word. And every time she would ask him, God would give me a scripture that would answer her prayer. I mean, within hours. And I didn't even know she was praying the prayer. And I said, God told me to tell her this week. She said, I was just asking God about that last night. He'd give it to me in the wee hours of the morning. He'd wake me up. And he gave me a, 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 he visited me out of Luke 17, where Jesus says, it's impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through, they, through whom they come. And then he told the disciples, if a man repents seven times in a day, forgive him. Peter said, dear Lord, you know, who can do this? Lord, increase our faith. And he said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd say to the sycamore tree, be plucked up by the root, be cast into the sea. And I saw that there he's dealing with offense and emotional problems. And that faith will get to the root of an emotional problem, just like it will a spiritual problem or a physical problem. Mark 11, he was hungry. That was physical. Mark, Matthew 17, it was a demon spirit. That was spiritual. But in Luke 17... It was offense and unforgiveness. That's emotional, mental. Faith gets to the root of every one of those areas of our life, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And I had to make a decision. He said, now in this faith process, son, he said, offense will contaminate your faith process. He said, you cannot afford to get offended at any step of this heat. Because I'll be honest with you, when she was recovering from that surgery on her leg and things were happening and it was closing, we were dealing with it. And for a while, she had to get full motion of one of her joints again. So she's on a walker for a while. And the first time she comes back to church, she's got to come in, the pastor's wife, on a walker. I mean, I had to grip my teeth and point at that thing when she was coming out of the house. I'm not offended at you, you're temporary. You're moving out of her life. She's every whit whole. You're there just to stabilize her healing. See, I had to, instead of being frustrated, you understand? Being offended at it. Because you can say the right thing. And if it's coming out of the wrong heart, it'll move stuff in your way. And because I dealt with that right, the right way, and because she did, that was the word God gave to us. She got on that thing. She came into church that morning. We got into worship. The glory of God fell. And she took that walker. She put it like that. And she began to take off walking in front of the church. Oh, glory to God. The glory of God fell in that place, brother. There wasn't a dry in the place. We have had now 
no less than, I think it's four. I may be exaggerating. I don't mean to be. I'd have to count them up. I don't, if I'm preaching, I'll do that later. Three to four. Since that time, not knowing it, we've had three or four people facing incurable terminal disease because they saw how she walked it out. They didn't get offended at the process. They've walked through it. They're sitting in church today, every whithole. No trace of what was in their body in there now. And some of it required medical procedures. She showed them how to walk it out. There can be things in your way. But what we need to understand is they probably didn't get there instantaneously. They probably got there gradually as you allowed it in. They'll go the same way. All you've got to do is get your tongue pointed in the right direction. That thing that's bound you, it will get out of your way. Decide. Decide to move it. Make a heart decision. Purpose in your heart. I'm not going to live like this the rest of my life. I don't have to. There's joy in this process. I know how it's going to turn out for me. Oh, glory to God.